On this episode of The Flophouse, we discuss The Bratz Movie, the best doll-inspired film since Superstar The Karen Carpenter Story. So, um, we've been having a lot of sort of soft intros recently. Let's, uh, let's do a little more stylish. Let's do a more hard intro. From the heart of Brooklyn, it's the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen. Yeah, almost professional. Yeah, booyah. So, Stuart. <laughs> and then you abandoned the idea of a hard intro almost immediately. <laughs> I like to keep things uh, loose. I just um, I get afraid that people don't know who we are. Well, specifically our name. Is there anything you'd like to say for people who might be coming in for the first time off of the success of Gawker? The runaway success of your Ziggy thing on Gawker. Listen, I don't want to toot my own horn, but uh, I made you guys. And, yeah, uh, you did. You, talk can, you can break for us if you need to. Well, Ten minutes yeah. straight about your Ziggy movie idea. <laughs> I edited it down to a tight seven. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, would you like to discuss? Just what the regular thing that we do is. Yeah, the regular thing that we do here around the flop house. I sound like an ass. <laughs> yeah, sure. Is, uh, we watch a bad movie, and then we discuss it afterwards. Or, uh, I don't know if I would say bad. I mean... In this watch, case, I would say bad. Well, I'm, I'm not just saying this case. I mean, sometimes they're not. We watch movies that we assume ahead of time might be bad. Due to poor financial... Or, you know, they're not always financial flops. I think you can oh, tell. Okay. Sometimes you can just tell. Which yeah. one wasn't, like... The Invasion or something? Uh, Mr. Brooks, no, that I think, was a did flop. okay. Oh, okay, that's weird. Then we discuss it. It's like Mystery Science Theater 3000, only you can't see what we're talking about. You haven't which, seen the movie. Which dooms it to failure. Yeah, sure. It's a much that's... more conceptually flawed than Mystery Science Theater <laughs> that's 3000. That's a fair way to put it. So, uh, but tonight, Stuart, <coughs> what did we watch tonight? Uh, we watched the Bratz movie. Oh, awesome. Are we 12-year-old girls? Uh, I'm not, no. Are you, no. Let me check. Uh, <laughs> no. Let the I'm at least, I'm not one of those things. That Elliot glanced down towards his fully clothed crotch. <laughs> so. Sure. Uh, the thing is that generally I like the same things that 12-year-old girls like. You know, stickers, pizza parties. <laughs> unicorns. Unicorns, sure. Uh, little, Rainbows. little statues of horses. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, Trapper br- keepers. Tra- yep. Sure. Having fights with your friends and then breaking up with them and then becoming friends again. Those yeah, those scrunchy things that I would put my little ponytails in. Yeah. Those uh, troll dolls. Slap, <laughs> slap that bracelets that slit your wrist open. <laughs> I'm just listing things from my own childhood. <laughs> I would say that twelve year old girls today don't really worry about slap bracelets <laughs> yeah. all that much. Since they're busy you know, hyper color shirts. You know, since they're busy right. texting each other and yeah. going on the internet. Yeah. Well if Bratz is to believe Every morning they wake up and they have simultaneous they four-way video uh, phone conversations with their friends as they choose the clothes that they're going to wear that day. Yes. Wait, can you not do that with the internet? I, you I probably you can. can. They did have amazing video quality on their computers and yeah. phones, yeah. you have to admit. I don't, uh, I don't want to put the brats down. I just sure. don't imagine that your average teenage girl... Has the four-way video. I would, wasn't there a poor brat? Wasn't one of the brats? Yeah, but she had the four. She had the video cameras. There was okay. one brat who was marginally. She was poor in the same way that I'm poor compared to 
you know, like Donald Trump. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, I can't buy whatever I want all the time, but I get by. Sure. Yeah, it was a movie about brats. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's what sure. I learned. Well, there's, there, here's what we learned about brats. Let's see if we can figure out, because brats is kind of an amorphous concept to start with. Right. So we learned they get up in the morning instantly full of energy yeah. and teleconference about the day to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else we about brats? While, while, while picking out uh, clothes well, from cavernous, cavernous <laughs> closets. From labyrinthian closets. With yeah. secret back shoe rooms. Yep. Um, they're also uh, incredibly good at anything they try. At everything. Everything. Literally everything they put a mind to. Uh, science, cheerleading, um, elaborate production numbers. The brats are basically the 12 or 15-year-old girl equivalent of the character Scaramouche from the Raphael Sabatini novel of the same name, who whatever he does, he's amazing at. Highbrow. This is a highbrow podcast. So... I was I was actually really relieved when we first when the movie started and you know there was dancing and stuff because uh, I I've, I don't know if you guys have but I've actually seen pictures of the Bratz characters the mm-hmm. dolls and cartoon yes. characters and uh, I had not only all. was I happy that it was a live action movie but um, when I realized that the the characters didn't look exactly like their cartoon counterparts <laughs> and thus completely inhuman uh, when they actually looked like human girls. Be, I was pretty excited. It'd be horrific if it was all normal kids except for the four brats who had enormous <laughs> eyes and tiny bodies and tiny hands and feet. Yeah. Which like, is possible in I, today's computer well, graphics, CG, yeah. I think. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up, Stuart, because I was going to say – for the benefit of listeners who might not be familiar with the inspiration for the Bratz <laughs> hit film, this is based on a line of dolls. A line of dolls, big-headed, whorishly dressed dolls. The- Imagine if Dora the Explorer was wearing, you know... She grew up and, like, and stopped talking to her parents. Yeah, yeah exactly. They didn't have a nose. And <laughs> I've often... Noses, they don't, here's, what, here's what the message is of the Bratz dolls is... You will never be good looking because you will never be as thin as these dolls. And your eyeballs will never grow this enormous. Yeah. And I've and often you have a nose. stood in toy stores staring at the Bratz dolls. And those around me have always thought that guy's having sexual fantasies about the Bratz dolls. But sure. really, what I was thinking was I wonder what their real life adventures are all about. <laughs> and this movie answered that question this for me. This movie was finally. for you, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, I don't like to brag, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that means in that context. Yeah, rats. I don't know. This was maybe the most hyperactive movie we've seen, or that I've seen with you guys at least. Stuff happened in this one. <laughs> Stuff happened. Was, e- roughly every thirty seconds, there was a different plot point. It was rich with incident. If it wasn't the, if it wasn't Jade, the Eurasian brat, uh, b- b- starting to fall in love with her lab partner, or the deaf jock who who becomes a DJ, or what else happens in this? The, yeah. the bust of the principal that breaks in a giant food. Imagine fight. Imagine a picaresque. <laughs> Henry Fielding novel, and then imagine that it stars. <laughs> it's about the rats. <laughs> that then you would have a pretty good approximation of this, uh, the plotting in this. Well, first let's talk about the individual brats, and I use individual <laughs> lightly. I would say that they're basically a unit. Yes. However, there's the Caucasian brat, there's the black brat, there's the Asian brat, and there's the Hispanic brat. However, all of the minority brats are pretty Caucasian. There are the most Caucasian interracial group of brats you could imagine. I, I don't think I don't think the Hispanic brat was Hispanic. No, yeah. I don't think we, we. I think her mom was Jewish. We didn't I'm realize sure she was Hispanic that. until her mom began blustering at her in Spanish, and then she walked into the kitchen and there was a mariachi band eating in her kitchen, right. as if to say, 
Listen, this is all we can do to prove to you that she's Hispanic. If you don't she's buy Hispanic, it, no. okay. <laughs> Why else would you have a mariachi band in her yeah, kitchen? Yeah, that's just what happens in uh, your, your average household. There's a mariachi band. We also have the, and the, the uh, Hispanic brat could sing. That was her talent. They can all sing, but she's the one that they tell is a good singer. And also she can do a magic trick where she pulls pieces of chocolate from behind her mother's ears, which astounds her mother. And yeah, never fails to amaze her mom. I, I never got that, any closure on that plot point. Is it a Hispanic stereotype? to do magic tricks or to, to love chocolate? <laughs> I don't know. Both. <laughs> I guess I'm not enough of a racist to know this stuff. <laughs> Luckily, I'll t- I got that covered. We're gonna, covered. We're gonna I'm, s- the ra- I'm the racist one of this gang. <laughs> we're going to spread completely um, uh, apocryphal stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> you know those Hispanics and all their chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> Asian brats love uh, cookery. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad you that know you what it's specified like. That it was exclusively the brat Asian, <laughs> Asian people. South of the border, nothing but magic tricks. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh brats. Okay, so there. But one, well, they all had their own. Ta- they were all great at everything they did. But they all had their individual talents that they were really great at. One was into singing. Sure. One was uh, one was a fashion designer. Yes. And also a scientist. Yep, a chemist. A Wait, chemist. Let's, let's take a moment to. Um, talk about what happened in her first day of chemistry class, which is that she threw a bunch of uh, chemicals into a big beaker willy-nilly, uh, much to the <laughs> an admiration of the fellow science students, and then fireworks <laughs> came out of it. Yeah. And when I say fireworks, I mean, don't mean it exploded. I mean, like, literal miniature fireworks. Like, one might see it at a 4th of July fireworks explode. But display. shrunk down. Yeah, like she was at Hogwarts, as <laughs> Stuart said. Uh, I did say that, actually. The weirdest part about it is that she did all this without any kind of uh, teacher supervision. Apparently there are no teachers at the school. There's no administration except for the one principal. Yeah, apparently. (laughs) There is a fashion designer because, and here's the, the, in the, I guess, home ec class, but it's nothing but making clothing, she makes a dress for her fashion teacher. On her first day. On her first day, the teacher is dowdy, glasses, hair up, and all that, walks away, Puts on this sexy red dress that she's made for her, takes her glasses off, and the whole audio, the uh, uh, classroom claps. We never, whoa, and I almost knocked the microphone over because I was clapping. We never, <laughs> we never see this teacher again. I have to assume she left and married like a wealthy and aging billionaire or something like that. There are a lot of plot points that are set up and then but discarded. How unprofessional is it to leave your class and change into the dress, the sexy dress that your student just made for you? There's like that seemed to be, you know, I think there's got to have been a. A, a subplot that was discarded about the sexy dress. There had to be something she about. She obviously realized that at that point her work was done. <laughs> she, she taught. This she had class nothing more to teach. She she now should be the student. There was the music professor who taught the deaf, uh, the hot deaf guy, the hot deaf guy who spoke perfectly, yeah. spoke perfectly, and didn't need to be looking at somebody to read their lips. Right. So basically, a guy, a yeah. hot guy. <laughs> But he, who every now and then would say, "I can't hear." It was very clear he could hear everything. Yes. Yeah, to, basically the one point at which in the movie at which the brats did something wrong was when one of the brats chewed this person out, and he was like, uh, "I'm deaf." So maybe he was just being a dick to that girl. Maybe he was just trying to make her feel bad. Maybe. But uh, he became a DJ uh, at the tutelage of this music teacher, and that was completely abandoned. 
I don't oh, think we heard. Well, he came back at that. the end of the big talent show, which we'll get to. Yeah. But apart from the, the music teacher and the fashion teacher and a couple security guards, there's really only one adult supervisor at the school. He was, of course, Principal Dimley, played by <laughs> Academy Award winner John Voight. Played to a T. To a T by John Voight in a prosthetic nose. And here's this is a subplot I wish had been looked at more. Obviously, there's a lot of graft and and resource wasting going on at the school because there's a bust a sculpted bust of the current principal on the school grounds and i had like who approved this budget that he's wasting money on a bust of himself to put on it at his school a bust which is easily knocked over and broken much like i don't know i don't know if you've ever been in high school but pretty much everything's bolted down pretty well <laughs> or if it's say a statue it's usually made out of bronze yeah, or yeah. some not, other metal it's not hollow ceramic <laughs> Yeah. Basically, um, the art class just did a, <laughs> they did a paper mache cast of his face. It. There you go. That explains it's a it. Tribute. It still doesn't explain the ceremonial Japanese sword set that was in the uh, secret surveillance room yeah. that the class that president weird, had, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one has to assume that John Voight took this part because he heard that there might be a fake nose involved, <laughs> and he thought. Well, uh, that's how Nicole Kidman got her Academy Award, so... Maybe that's it, yeah. The Bratz movie is going to be my ticket. <laughs> but he has an Academy Award. Well... He won for Coming greedy. Home, didn't he? He's a greedy... <laughs> he is, right? He's a greedy man. John Voight, you heard it here first. I'm, I'm calling you out, John Voight. <laughs> choose, choose the scenery. He's calling you out producer of Baby Geniuses. <laughs> uh, he was really good in Anaconda. He was. <laughs> that last wink, man. Yep. These are my babies. <laughs> so what was so we had these brats. We don't really need to talk what? about them. What was their who was their villain? Because every brat needs a villain. Uh, what was her name? Meredith, I don't even, Meredith. Meredith Baxter Dimley. Yeah, was the, name. But there were these little touches like Meredith Baxter Dimley that seemed like the screenwriter was very bored with what she was doing and was throwing them in. Right, like you they, pointed out that uh, it was. They went to Carrie Nation High School, and everything was the symbol of the school was an axe, and that the big talent show at the end they win the golden axe, and it's like, oh, that's kind of a cute little joke. Like Carrie Nation used to chop up bars with axes because she was, you know, a leader of the temperance movement. That's kind of a right, almost too smart for the Bratz and, movie. Well, almost too smart for the Bratz <laughs> movie. You think that the um, eight-year-old girls who are going to see the Bratz movie are familiar with the history of the temperance movement? They might be. I don't know. I don't know if they know everything about the improvement, reform, progressive movement, but, you know. Uh, well, I want to talk about something that uh, delighted me about this movie. So, I know where this is going. <laughs> this movie had, I would say it moved in fits and starts. There, there were points at which you thought... Oh, maybe this movie's over. And then you would look at the time and say, oh, this movie's 30 minutes in. I think maybe the first or second time that their friendship fell apart and then they came back back together again. Right. Well, the movie starts on the first day of school. High school. At a high school. And they all go in and they're all, uh, they're all best friends. Freshmen. Even though that they, they are all totally like one another, except, <laughs> except for their slightly varied interests. And um, ethnicities. Yeah. The, the, the evil villain of the school wants to split them up into cliques. Who is, apparently, the evil villain is, ba- is the school class president. She's basically Reese Witherspoon in election, except with a little dash of Alicia, Silverstu- Alicia Silverstone in uh, Clueless. Yeah, for, for some reason, it's very important played, to her. Played for an audience that really can appreciate subtlety. <laughs> yeah. She also has a – uh, she does have a remote control floating swim pool chair at one, at one point. <laughs> She's the evil, rich daughter of the principal. And as you pointed out, Stuart, 
where all the money is coming from <laughs> on a principal's salary. <laughs> Their house looks like the president, like the Mexican president's mansion, basically. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's uh, you know, that's a school pr- high school principal for you, <laughs> rolling in the money. <laughs> But uh, she is really committed to the idea of cliques being separated. It's basically like a, a segregationist. Let's point out uh, some of the allegory. cliques at this school. So the cliques that there, are, she says something that like there's 13 cliques at this school or 17 cliques, and they in- include goth kids, jocks, but then they also include disco kids, kids that dress as dinosaurs are <laughs> named that mimes, a mimes. Group of mimes. Uh, it's as if the, the whoever's making the movie was like. This school's full. I remember high school was full of cliques. Uh, I guess there are really only two or three cliques, and everyone else just kind of milled about. Well, I'll make up some other cliques. Yeah, it, was, it was like a three or four hour brainstorming session <laughs> where after three or four hours, they're like, yeah, we got two written down. Uh, <laughs> fuck it. Somebody grab a magazine. <laughs> dinosaur, dinosaur. dinosaur. What can we do with this? Disco. Great. Do it. <laughs> Those are the hippies. Okay, done. Uh, Those are the other hippies. Uh, okay. Corduroy wearing engineers. Fine. The <laughs> <laughs> one. Uh, but anyway, it was really important for... Band Geeks. Band Geeks, band was, Geeks was one of them. And they were in their band costumes all the time. Sure. And always had well, their that, instruments that, that is actually literally true to life. That I remember That they had carried their school. instruments around with them all the time? The kid with the drum? Uh, all yoga I remember, kids. They had yoga well, kids. All I remember is, is the Band Geeks would always I, go out to the band building to make out during uh, lunchtime. Oh. This so there. I like is they drive when they drive to the school. I don't know if you guys noticed a student is walking by carrying a human skeleton, <laughs> and I assume he's in the science class and not a murderer. <laughs> well, that's a, that's the best way to like to script a scene. Is like okay, how do I get people to know what roles these characters fill? It's obviously as you mentioned, you stick something in their hand that identifies <laughs> that character, whether or not it's a human skeleton for a scientist slash murderer. <laughs> <laughs> instruments for a band geek i don't know like a disco ball for a disco kid i, I don't know yeah a turntable for a deaf kid because <laughs> that says yeah that, that was the, that was a strange scene one of the uh hispanic brat whose name i don't remember uh who's, yasmin yasmin who's the singer that's right yasmin she uh bumps into someone in the in the hallway and says what are you blind and he goes no but i am deaf so whatever or something like that yeah and she goes oh i didn't know and he's like well i guess you i may be deaf but you're ignorant or something like that and walks away and suddenly the scene slow motion sad music oh yeah. this brat made a mistake well we should talk about the music in a second but what i was saying was uh the villain seems really intent on maintaining the social order for no reason that's ever explained adequately in the film but the point is uh, on the first day, all the brats want to sit together, but they need to be segregated mm-hmm. to their individual interests. And uh, because of this, they basically break up as friends. And then suddenly, <laughs> the film has a title card that says, Two Years Later. <laughs> 20 minutes into the film, there's a title card that says, Two Years Later. And then immediately upon uh, coming back into the story... They all get sentenced to detention together and become friends again because of that. <laughs> and literally, there would there's no reason why that couldn't all have happened in the same year. They also look exactly the same. They have the same interests, the same friends. <laughs> Nothing about this is so. Let's say it's freshman year through what junior year. So they're going sure. roughly from like the age fourteen to the age sixteen, let's say, or thirteen to fifteen. Like that's a major. Those those are two of the two most important years in a, a young American's developmental life. Sure. They would have changed mass. I'm not was not the same person at 13 that I was at 15. But they have not changed at all. Nothing has happened. Mm-hmm. And then they could become friends. Changes. 
No physical. Well, they're already have already gone through puberty before their first day of high school. Oh, okay. But uh, they also uh, different haircuts, maybe. <laughs> same haircuts. Oh, weird. The same haircuts. And the one girl's younger huh. brother is also the same age that he yeah. was two years before. Did he, did they, all, did he have a different haircut? They're all no, same obsessed haircut. with the same uh, romantic interests. Um, Who also look the same and have the same haircuts yeah. and are with the same girls. These guys are all are in high school relationships that have lasted two or three years. Yeah, it seems that's, like they would take them a serious. lot more seriously. Yeah, than they, <laughs> they wouldn't just leave immediately when they see these attractive brats walking in. We should also note... They go to detention because of a food fight they accidentally cause, in which massive fistfuls of pasta are thrown around. <laughs> it looks someone it will pick pasta up, day, dude. someone picks up a plate and throws it, and then they'll cut to someone being hit in what looks like a confetti cannon's worth of pasta in the face. <laughs> but but it bears uh, it bears noting that the pasta is not the problem. The problem is that is the brats <laughs> <Brett>? accidentally. <laughs> I do imagine the director in the scenes going, "Oh, we need more pasta. <laughs> We're not getting across." the food fightosity of this scene. <laughs> but the brats accidentally smashed the bust of uh, beschnozzed uh, oh, John Voight. Right. And that's what lands them in detention. So are you imagining that they're like <laughs> using like a weird machine, like uh, the machine from Ernest Goes to Camp that fires out the eggs erroneous yeah, people? Yeah, and this fire fires out, pasta. It fires out pasta. Just too. something, but only off camera. Like this oh, okay. is something, you're not getting the right trajectory invent, on that yeah. pasta girl. One of the like, brats didn't invent No, no, the this is something that they did you know, behind the scenes. Uh, <laughs> We're still supposed to believe that the brats are throwing these huge mounds of pasta at people. <laughs> Let me reiterate, however, that uh, the brats have now <laughs> broken up as friends and gotten back together. Two years later, and it's thirty minutes into the film. Thirty minutes in. Yeah. What's the rest? What's the what's the remaining hour and five minutes of the film? You may ask. Which uh, is the running time of the movie? Sure. You know, without credits, with with credits. The credits include two music videos. So yeah. you, won't, you don't want to skip the credits. <laughs> no. One of them involves no. a piano with the word Some "brats" written stuff. on it in big letters. You'd be doing yourself a disservice, I think. <laughs> Uh, but the, what is it? What still is yet to come in the movie? Oh, I don't know. A talent show? Maybe a super Shh. sweet sixteen party? Okay, that's that's good. Mm. Don't talk about the talent show. Oh, sorry, yet. I won't get to that yet. Even though they mentioned the talent show roughly twenty five minutes into the film, <laughs> and then it dropped for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, don't they like break up and become friends again like four more times through the course of the <laughs> fucking movie? It feels like, and I think Dan mentioned this. It feels like several episodes of the Brad's TV show like sewn together, like yeah. those movies where they make it. They would take a Japanese or, or an Italian TV show and just sew the episodes together into a movie. This, this is, is like, kind of like that. This is the Cruel Intentions two of Brad's film. <laughs> <laughs> or to go a little highbrow, it's uh, the Maholland uh, Maholland uh, Drive of Brad's film. Or the uh, without or the. The Lost Highway of Brad's films. Wait, Lost Highway was strung together? Well, no, it's two different stories. Though. All right, but but Mulholland Drive was that was a, was a television show. show. That's real. Yeah. Oh, okay. But anyway, so the super sweet. So the villain of the movie, Meredith Baxter Dimley, sure. decides to throw a super sweet sixteen. This is how she's going to win the school back over because her clutch on power is so tenuous. As long as these free agent brats are around, <laughs> acting independent, and by acting independent, it means dressing like everybody yeah. else. Wait, let's let's. This is an important point. The whole theme of the film is ostensibly be yourself. Be yourself. Uh, break down the walls. It wasn't. You know. I thought it was be a brat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a brat also. But means. the brat, the brat's ethos is to break down the walls between cliques and to and to bring people together to see what's similar in people. Oh, that would have made a lot more sense if they like explained that whole thing in a song. <laughs> yeah, well, they did several times. <laughs> oh shit! As they walked down Main the Street, USA, is, to get to the clothing the, store, the four brats are four attractive teenage girls 
who are squarely within the mainstream <laughs> of high school society. Yes, there's nothing about them that's particularly crazy or off-putting. Everybody likes them as soon as they meet them. They're not outcasts. You know, there's nothing different about. Them. This isn't Harold and Maude, yeah. I guess. Is what yeah, I'm I get, the only time it's that just other people get annoyed with them is when they don't want to be their friends. Yes. When yeah, the only time people get mad at the brats is when the brats don't want to hang out with them. Because they want to hang out with their other friends. They want to hang out just with brats. But they get over that pretty quickly. I get this isn't welcome to the dollhouse. Yeah, it's very strange too. Like <laughs> once the brats realize that they want to hang out with the other brats, there's no point at which they're like you know what, we can hang out with each other <laughs> and, and our other friends. It's, it's more like, okay, well, we got to choose. We gotta If we choose, we choose our own kind, and our own kind is brats. Maybe it's because I'm reading a book about the Old Testament right now, but it seems like there's a parallel here between the ancient Israelites. Either they kept together as a people and didn't intermarry, or they were put into exile uh, in Babylon when the Babylonians took over uh, the land of Canaan that had become Israel, and suddenly... They, the Israelites didn't get along anymore. They intermarried. They became part of Babylonian society <laughs> until I think it was the prophet Ezra said, "Listen, guys, we got to get back to our roots." And that then they became Israelites again and shut out the rest of modern society. I guess that's kind of what Bratz the movie is yeah, saying. Yeah, I believe I believe that his direct quote is, "Hey guys, we got we got to show off our gratitude." Right? <laughs> In the Torah, it does. The Hebrew for gratitude is slightly different, but you know, <laughs> sure. yeah. Also, they do invent the word gratitude. Yeah, <laughs> as as you would say, Stuart, this is a uh, snobs versus snobs comedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no there's no underdog in this. No, film. there is. There's an overdog and a slightly less overdog. <laughs> Well, it's like it's more like there's an well, overdog there's, who's mean, and overdog there's overdogs and that people like. Four slightly less overdogs, even when together when, are more than a match. Even when the, the brats are like getting along with people, they're molding them to be more like the brats. They're putting makeup on the nerds. They're right. teaching the jocks math. They're like it's not like like their message is be yourself, but what they're actually doing is making sure everyone conforms to the brats' ideal. <laughs> teaching them math, which. I don't, I don't. I don't recall, but I don't think there was an actual math problem. No, she she gives them. them uh, she's teaching foot, uh, Jade, the Asian one. Her name is sure. Jade. Yeah. Uh, she's teaching the football players math, and she says X plus Y plus Z over three, and the answer is. And there's no <laughs> way to a, solve that. Not an equation. That is impossible to solve. An equation implies an equal sign somewhere. <laughs> equa- you can't figure out what those letters are standing for if you have only 14. one number. It's fourteen, Elliot. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. They could be anything. Although, no, Stuart, if I recall, Stuart's the, right. It's fourteen. I believe he has a beautiful mind. <laughs> I believe at the end of that uh, that scene, there's a lot of football players high fiving each other. Yeah, well, she, so I think you're wrong. Well, she she, does, she replaces the, all of the variables with real numbers, and then with, it becomes a, um, a you know a ten year old's math. Problem. It becomes a number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that was dumb. Oh, but anyway, so so Meredith Baxter dimly has a tenuous grasp on power. These brats, ah, uh, these will no one stop? Who will save me from these turbulent brats? That's what she shouts out. Uh, she she decides this is how she's gonna get back her power. She's gonna throw the biggest super sweet sixteen party ever. She's gonna invite MTV to cover it, and she's gonna rub it in the faces of everyone at school, and yeah. not invite the brats. But she's gonna show everyone at school how well, great she no, is. No, hold on. She's she's willing to invite the brats. But only if they conform That's to true. their if clique. If they show up with their clique. And so the way she does this is apparently everyone in school is given a balloon that has a piece of paper with their clique's name inside it. So they pop their balloons and they're like, oh shit, all four of us brats aren't in the same clique. 
I guess we shouldn't go to this party. And then they, they're going to make a stand against uh, Meredith Baxter dimly. However. They can't, yeah. yeah the I, don't, poor, I don't remember any of The poor brat's mom turns out to be the <laughs> caterer for this party. Which she hardly, and this is a woman who, her so her daughter comes home and her mom is asleep on the couch. And her she says, oh no, I've got to cook all this food, oh no. <laughs> mom, you're tired. Here, I'll take care of it. You sleep for a couple hours. So her mother's dealing with depression or alcoholism or something. Sure. This is a woman whose only job seems to be catering this one party, and that she's so tired that she cannot do it. Meanwhile, the four brats, who are geniuses at everything, they've managed up- to whip up... <laughs> They cater an entire party, which had, looks, you know, once the party starts, it looks to have like 500 people at it. <laughs> and let's, they make a point of saying, us cook, you crazy, or something along those lines that teens would say. Heck, yeah. I even burn water. Yeah, that was the line, I even burn water. Yeah. You know what? Um, and yet they're master cooking, chefs. Co- yeah, cooking isn't a skill, Elliot. You can just pick that up. <laughs> Apparently. Within the course of a montage. So. Oh, so many montages. Oh, okay, but here's the thing. So they cater it, but then not only do they have to cater it, they also have to fill in for the wait staff who couldn't show up. So the brats are not only at the party, but they're servants to their also, evil. Also, the wait staff have to wear clown costumes <laughs> because suddenly this is a Fellini film. <laughs> yeah, so you get the strange picture of the four brats in full clown makeup and costumes being mm-hmm. told by Meredith Baxter Dimley, I guess, to serve the food properly and things like that. Oh, yeah. and also Meredith Baxter Dimley has a smart aleck little sister. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Now the thing is, by including the whole like clown, uh, the whole like clown theme. I guess her party was circus themed. Sure, and like, and I think that only helped to cement that feeling. Like I was watching, uh, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead, but with brats <laughs> in it. This was the fashion show at the end of the. Yeah, it was the fashion show at the end with the with the boyfriend or love interest who I believe drove a uh, a circus themed. Oh, hot he was dog an ice cream truck. truck I think. Oh yeah, shit. yeah, or a hot dog truck. Something like that. I don't remember. All I remember was that no one was told in the end that the babysitter was dead. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so, yeah. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Christina Applegate. The dishes are done. Dude. So, okay. So it's a circus-themed party. Sure. There are clowns and acrobats everywhere. Meredith Baxter dimly comes in riding an elephant, which fails to impress... Her, the people at the party, but to be fair, it looks like a pretty boring party. Yeah, <laughs> they're just sitting at tables. There's an elephant. That's about it. There's a juggler or two. I think there are a couple jugglers. Yeah, and there's a lot of people with giant well, conga drums. She got Cirque du Soleil to play the party, which, as a, you know, if you're a high schooler, that's pretty much the top. You want Cirque du Soleil to come in with their sort of whimsical, <laughs> fave uh, French Canadianness <laughs> and entertain sure. you. Uh, and and the sh- the party is being covered by MTV for their show, and you know this because there's one guy holding a DV cam with a T-shirt on that says MTV on it. <laughs> it's apparently the entire crew behind that show. I want to point out that uh, Meredith shames the um, Hispanic brat, yes, and I, I really oh, you this know, is after Meredith's musical number in which she sings about how great she is and how much better she is than everybody else. I feel bad referring to their brats by the, their ethnicities, <laughs> but the thing is li- that is literally the only thing that distinguishes them. <laughs> as characters in this film and you will see how that is when i when i finish this she shames this girl by showing a video of her singing la cucaracha with her mom uh a video that like her brother or like the the, the brat's little brother took on a on a cell phone which was by far the best <laughs> fucking uh, picture i've ever seen on a cell even phone even when it's as you mentioned blown up and projected on the side of yeah. the house for everyone to see yeah, perfect crystal crystal beautiful and, resolution uh, yeah la cucaracha i guess was the only Spanish folk tune that they could think of 
you know. It is. I mean, it does. It does call back to the time of Pancho Villa and his revolt. And then they all did the Mexican hat dance together. (laughs) Well, I think they. I think they included that scene so that all the you know so that the Hispanic you know girl audience would have something to relate to. I don't know about you guys. Daily occurrence. (laughs) Yeah, all the Hispanic girls I know had. All the time. Six o'clock. Mom, time to sing the cucaracha. <laughs> Is that a chocolate behind your ear? <laughs> magic. <laughs> oh, we Mexicans. We love magic and chocolates. <laughs> it's our defining characteristic. So, oh, yeah. and also, by the way, in keeping with this, Jade, the half-Asian girl, has an Asian mother who pushes her too much to be a nice girl who dresses in prim uniforms and does things. But when she gets to school, Uh-oh. she becomes a uh, girl with dyed streaks in her hair and yeah, somehow crazy she, clothes. I don't know if she wears Kinda a like wig. Angel. Yeah. Angel. School girl by day, stripper Out by night. Train, yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought you meant girl. Angel from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> no, not, not, no like Angel. Not, da- not David Boreanaz. <laughs> <sighs> your your version makes more sense. Yeah, no. yeah, it does. Right. One of the things we haven't touched on yet. I don't want to actually talk that much more about the plot of this movie. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the talent show yet. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about the talent show as as I or think, the or the jump drive. The, what I just want to talk about a little bit was uh, this this movie had a little bit of music in it, right, guys? Uh, yeah, by which it. you mean sixty percent of the movie. <laughs> Uh, or are you six, just talking about the soundtrack? Uh, I was just going to say, there's a shitload of music in this movie. Every Roughly 75% of the actual movie is set <laughs> to some kind of a musical number. There's It seems like every two minutes or so, it's a different song, and sometimes every 15 seconds. As soon as there's any sort of change in... Like, even if two characters are having a conversation, and their conversation ends, and another conversation starts, music change. Yeah, any change in mood is accompanied by a change in mood music. And it's not just pop hits, too. <laughs> like, it'll be opera, it'll be sort of like... The Blue Danube at one like point. Esquivel-style exotica. <laughs> it was... Very strange. It was like uh, the person who... It was like the... The soundtrack arranger had been given one of those Nickelodeon Toys R Us shopping sprees where they're like, you got 15 minutes to run through this record store and just pull CDs off the shelf, and then you got to score the movie with that. And it was like, oh, Strauss, uh, Escobel, uh, Wonderwall, uh, you know, and so forth. Just anything she could get her hands on. Yeah. And there was a lot of the use of that slow motion, then speed up with like a whooshing noise camera and multiple screens on screen at once, yeah. picture in picture, split screen. Very De Palma, it's like a right? 70s yeah. There's like oh Robert Aldrich. There's a lot of style, a lot of style in this picture. Yeah, and the, the for thing a is, really bad movie. Well, that's a the thing. Like, like all this, uh, you know, all this style, all these music choices, all this stuff. Like, could you just think about what would have happened if it had all gone wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's, luckily, yeah, it's so lucky. Like, lucky this movie turned out to be a masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's something beautiful coming out of chaos. Yeah, I guess. it's like it's like it's like Johnny Greenwood's discordant score to "There Will Be Blood." Mm-hmm. It just perfectly works. <laughs> this could have turned out to be a mess in which something new happens every two minutes, and the characters don't make sense, and you get dizzy. I like the only time the the, the way I felt after watching this movie was the way I felt after I once drank too much water in a short amount of time, and I was logy, and I like my mind was reeling, and I felt I was like I feel drunk, but I'm not drunk. I've just drank a lot of water. I don't understand. Yeah. That's the Bratz. That's a sweet high, a water high. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Bratz for you. Well, we should, oh, I we did, should move plot-wise. I did, did want to say, uh, Dan, do you, if you ever title these episodes, you should call this one Beat on the Bratz. <laughs> nice. 
I don't think that's fair when uh, you see the how this uh, podcast turns out, how the yeah, review probably. turns out. That's true. But um, so at the end, <laughs> everything turns out all right, though. I don't want to. I don't want to leave the podcast listeners in suspense. <laughs> If spoiler. they don't run out immediately. Spoiler, <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert. Spoiler. They win, they win the talent show and the poor one wins the college scholarship. Yeah. They win the talent show with an elaborately choreographed <laughs> routine that involves um, several backup dancers and a full brass band. And a multimedia display. Sure. Changing video, lights, people in the audience with placards. The only thing that would have made the like the kind of like the, the conclusion of the film, I think, better, it would have sold it more, is if a guy showed up and was like I'm from MTV, and you guys are awesome. Here's Wait. a rep. Well, Wait, that- Stuart, you must have been in the in the bathroom or something when that happened, because that happened. At the Holy end. shit. That it, sounds like a really good movie. A, a guy who I believe who we believe was played by the director <laughs> of the film walks up, I'm from MTV. We're having a movie premiere, and we want you to perform at it. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> the director's <laughs> like... The playing himself, yeah. Or playing someone. There's not a, only somebody, but somebody that's relatively important. I mean, <laughs> he's shooting the moon to be like, I'm president of MTV. It's kind of, I don't know why he didn't just descend and say, I've come, I'm God. And you know what? Brats, uh, join me in heaven with the hosts. You know, and, so and then what? the brats who have basically been on top, uh, except for the two-year span that we did not see them. because the Which you have to assume they I assume eating disorders, sure. date rape, terrible you things. You have to assume that all of the drama in the film actually occurred during those two years that we didn't see. Uh, come out on top once more. And then there are two music videos. Uh, <laughs> and as I said... To Elliot, this has got to be some sort of backdoor pilot for a Bratz uh, concert tour or something. something the they, obviously, this is kind of a prototype for Hannah Montana, it seems, where the idea is, yeah, yeah, it's a this is a television show or it's a movie, but it's also kind of a commercial for albums and things like that. Yeah, it's kind of like Transformers or something. But that's the thing. It's also, this is what we all grew up with, which is we grew up with cartoon shows that were based on toy lines. And like He-Man was a 30-minute advertisement for a toy line, and that's exactly what this is. This is an hour and 40-minute long advertisement for the Bratz. The the dolls or like the shoes? I think both, all of them. Okay. I, I don't know if they're Bratz shoes. You may be thinking of the Steve Madden ads that you see on the sides <laughs> of buildings, where it's basically Bratz, yeah. but it's for Steve Madden shoes. Isn't that intellectual property theft? I always wondered that, yes. <laughs> so, Elliot... Um... <laughs> On the subject of brats, you are a you know you're a high paid. Uh, imagine you're a high paid uh, scriptwriter. I know Done. you know I know you struck gold with your Ziggy pitch. <laughs> pitch. Pitch me your brats. Elliot Kalen presents brats. The base on the toys. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well. Oh well. First of all, I don't want to do it with real life actors. This is the opposite of Ziggy. Sure. Ziggy was a real life actor playing <laughs> Ziggy. And this, I want the brats. Let's say they live in. Toyland, sure. Doll Sylvania, or you know, let's call it the Bratz Universe. Uh, any and they, town USA, any sure. town USA, and everyone there is like the Bratz. They have giant eyes, no noses. They're sexy in a weird uh, Mike's Hard Underage Lemonade, way. NBC Predator Dateline uh, kind of way, and they somehow, I don't know, show up in our world. Uh, they befriend a teenage girl who's kind of not very popular. A portal Gla- glasses. Hair up. Maybe it's a magic thing. Maybe it's a portal. I, I don't like, know. I like magic. Well, that's okay. So it's some sort of magic. Maybe the Bratz universe and Earth are in conjunction only sure, once every the, million the, the years. Grand, the, grand the portal is oh, an amulet. The portal is open for seventy-two hours. Okay. And they teach her how to be herself and be a beautiful girl. But 
there's a toy maker, oh. a rich, evil toy maker in town who sees these brats, wants to make a line of toys based on them, kidnaps them, finds out they're alive. There's a whole universe of brats dolls. <laughs> I'll enslave you all and sell you to the children. And then you'll steal from the children and give it to me. And the brats say, they probably talk in high pitch voice. And, you know, the girl who helped them, she has to use her newfound popularity to get the kids together, overthrow the evil toy maker, and then gets those brats home before the portal closes. I'm, I'm telling you, Hollywood, uh, you should um, steal Elliot's brain. I'm not encouraging <laughs> Hollywood producers to come and, in the middle of the night, perform some sort of brain surgery, removing his brain from his body and putting it in some sort of Hollywood, uh, I don't know, uh, the hit, hit-making machine. But if you were to do that... I don't I'm, think I would rather they didn't. I'd rather they <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. I know you would rather you just didn't, pay me money. But to do you know, things. Hollywood producers. I think that that would be a so probably are we, good. Are idea. we talking like puppets? Well, I would imagine they would be either claymation or some sort of stop motion animation. Okay. Uh, something along the lines of the California raisins or <laughs> the fish in Life Aquatic, something like that. Yeah. But the humans would be real people. But you'd have these kind of stop motion. So they wouldn't be puppets. No, they would be real. Okay. And then you'd have like puppet brats, stop motion puppet brats. It would be all okay. composites, green screens, things like that. You'd have to get a very talented young actress to play the girl. She's going to have to act to basically nothing. The brats won't be there. It's kind of an Indian in the cupboard type thing. Sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, look, uh, before we talk forever. Also, Tori Amos, original song on the soundtrack. <laughs> Done. Brilliant. Just, you know, Brilliant. Give it a little cred. We should do our final judgments on this thing. So if you haven't listened to the podcast before, there are three categories, three Flophouse <laughs> categories. Is this a bad movie you would not recommend to anyone? Is this a bad movie that you uh, would recommend as a bad movie, uh, good for a few laughs, or a movie that you think actually is pretty good secretly? So um, I'm going to go to Stuart over here because I think he's got his opinion lined up. <coughs> Yeah, uh, I actually I think this is a this is a bad movie that's fun as a bad movie. That's the second category, I think. Yeah, uh, because it's totally crazy and something new happens like every ten minutes. So if <laughs> if you don't actually like paying that much attention, it seems like a lot of stuff's happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I'm gonna go with that too. Like we have watched a lot of movies that have been serious pain to watch, and I think they've made for good shows. I don't know whether this is a good show or not, but watching the movie. I had a great time, and particularly, I know we've ruined it for you as a podcast listener, but the first time, two years later, got thrown up there on the screen, I could not stop laughing. I think we said what the fuck like ten times. (laughs) 20 minutes into the film. Beautiful, and it's a surprise. jump ahead for two years, and ultimately it makes no difference. So that was beautiful. Thank you, Brett's the movie. Uh, and I would also go for a category two. It's this is by no means a good movie. Let's just get that out of the way right there. It's a terrible movie. The message is abhorrent. Be be yourself as long as you're beautiful and good at everything. But yet, like watching it the whole time, it's like babysitting like a nephew who's like four years old and running around, and you're really tired after a day of work, and you're like, oh, I don't want to watch this kid anymore and run around. He keeps doing different things that are really irritating. But then at the end of the night, you're so giddy from chasing this kid around that you're like, you know what? I'll babysit another time. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, you got me, Brett. So, you got me, Brett. You, you won me over with your crappiness, but also with your energy. Oh, man, that's great. Usually at this point, we move from negativity to positivity, but this time it's going to be from positivity to positivity, since we all had such a good time <laughs> but smiles. watching the Bratz movie. If you, and we, believe me, I think I'd speak for all of us when I say I am immensely surprised that I had such a good time. <laughs> <laughs> the feel-good movie of the year. 
Uh, it now. I, I knew as soon as I realized it wasn't animation that I was going to have a good time. <laughs> so now's the time in the movie when we talk about uh, recommendations. So I'm going to move over to Elliot first for this. Uh, okay. Uh, well, since we watched a movie about young girls, Bratz, or the Bratz. I don't remember if it's Bratz or the Bratz. Or Bratz the movie. It's Bratz TM. <laughs> That's right. It's, Every instance of Bratz has a trademark. It's simply Bratz with, I believe there's a halo over the A. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Because they love the Angels. Sure. They're big baseball fans. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, but, so, another movie I saw recently for the first time, which I had been meaning to see for a while, also about young girls... Uh, called Picnic at Hanging Rock, which oh. is the exact opposite of this in every way. Uh, it's a very deliberately paced, very kind of beautiful trance-like movie about uh, in the year 1900, a group of uh, uh, English girls at a boarding school in Australia go to this place, Hanging Rock, uh, on a picnic, and three of them and their teacher disappear. No one knows where they are. They're lost. No one can find them. And there's the movie kind of follows what happens to everyone else as they grapple with the fact that basically the laws of reality this they don't come out and say this but the laws of reality they've always depended on do not apply there's something about hanging rock there's something about the universe that they cannot answer and it had this very kind of i mean what it struck me as was like kind of an algernon blackwood story but he's not that i mean it's kind of an obscure reference so if i'll say a little bit less obscure it's like if hp lovecraft wrote not movie not stories about things with tentacles that scared people because they ate them and stuff like that, <laughs> but wrote stories about kind of like ineffable mysteries of in nature. The idea that these girls have all this bound up emotion that they can't let out because they're in this boarding school and it's the year 1900. They have to wear gloves until they're out of sight of townspeople at one point because uh, it's just not proper. And there's something inside them that unlocks something in this rock and takes them and everyone else has to deal with that and wonder about their own place and you know all that sort of thing but it's it's really beautiful and frankly when i was a kid growing up i used to see commercials for zamfir master of the pan <laughs> flute all the time and i was like that's ridiculous but he uh performed much of the soundtrack or much of the soundtrack is zamfir songs and the whole time i was like this is perfect this this is beautiful haunting music so i guess i was wrong to laugh at you zamfir so master of the romanian pan run flute. out and rent brats and buy the best of zamfir <laughs> no but the, the two of them would make an interesting double feature because one is about like they're both about young girls who are kind of like bursting out you know to let the their true selves show but one is this kind of emotionally scary thing and the other is brats the movie so you know well, uh, since I went on vacation recently, I think I should talk about the two films that I saw on the plane out to San Francisco and back from San Francisco because, frankly, I didn't have time to see a lot of movies because I was on vacation. So on my way there, I saw The Golden Compass, or I should say I saw the beginning of The Golden Compass. And I would recommend The Golden Compass as an airplane movie because it put me right to sleep. Like I had a... Ow! I had a great time watching it and waking up and realizing that a large part of my seven-hour plane trip was almost over. Because, you know what? I mean, I, I read the Golden Compass books, um, and I enjoyed them. The problem with the movie was they basically were really uh, faithful except for the anti-religion uh, stuff. So you were left with just, just really complex mythology that they tried to explain to you right off the bat in, like, narration. And I felt like, uh, you know, like, Mr. Burns and The Simpsons being like, I don't care about blizz-blaz and thin-flan. <laughs> you know, like, it just it just immediately just put me off. And I was like, 
if I, having read the books, felt like this, I can't imagine <laughs> someone coming in cold to this movie, what their reaction would be to it. That was, if I can interject, that was a movie that I was very excited about it because I'm a big fan of, the, of that book. And the, one of the great things about the book is the main character doesn't know that much about the world outside of where she lives. So as she's discovering these new things, so are you. It's like, oh, there are these people who live on boats and trade among the countries and they have their own mysterious ways and apparently there are witches? What? And then, she, and then you hear like, oh, the Panzerbjorn are, are – are, there's trouble up with them up north. And it's like, Panzerbjorn? I don't even know what that is, but it, that sounds pretty good. And you know, it's constantly unfolding this mysterious world that you learn more about slowly. And in the movie, it starts off with a prologue that like all the world is made of a magical substance named dust the people the witches the talking bears the da 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 and it's like why did you just give away the fact that there are talking bears in this movie like this is the one of the best things in the mo- in the book is like holy shit there are talking bears that wear iron and fight each other in this book i had no idea this is great but right off the bat they're like well they're talking bears so Spoiler alert. So when the bear shows up, it's like, oh, there's that talking bear I heard about. You know, it's you must be the talking bear. That's the talk of the town this season. So I, I agree that uh, with exactly what you're saying. Uh, but on the way back, however, I saw National Treasure Two: Book of Secrets. Oh, you dick! And let me tell you, you know, on the flip side, if you're gonna watch a movie on a plane, that's gonna keep you <laughs> paying attention the whole time. I'm not going to say it's a it's a great movie. I'm not even going to say it's a good movie necessarily. But I was so entertained by Book of Secrets. <laughs> and, you know, like, I was actually a big fan of the first uh, film as, like, sort of a good bad movie. Because it's it's silly, but it's really like a tongue-in-cheek. Wait, is that the movie where he can see two minutes into the future? No, that's next. No. Oh, okay. We watch next. You, uh, <laughs> you're confusing your Nicolas Cage films. Oh, okay. But, uh, you know, like, the first movie was like... All right, we're going to make uh, an Indiana Jones movie, and we're going to put Nick Cage in it, and we're going to make it about history. And that's kind of what uh, I like about the National Treasure series, is like the nerdiness about, like, we're going to make this about American history. Granted, it's going to be our crazy Hollywood <laughs> version of American history, but still, it's going to be generation, like... You have millions of school children thinking <laughs> that the that America was started with, I guess, pirate gold that right. is hidden somewhere. <laughs> but it's not It's not about, like, fucking transforming robots or something. <laughs> like, sure. it's it's a very human-sized thing. I haven't... Oh, you were saying... You were well, saying. There, there are a couple things I just want to point out about it. Number one... Well, number one, John Voight is in the American... Uh, the, the National Treasure films, so that's Does a Does he wear a, a prosthetic breath. nose in them? No, there's no prosthetic nose. But number two, Harvey Keitel is in the movies. And in the first movie, it made sense, like, you know, why he was in it. The second film, like, Harvey Keitel plays this uh, FBI agent. And he's introduced in the second movie by his underlings coming in and being like, Hey, guess what? Nicolas Cage is in the news again. Your friend from the first National Treasure film. (laughs) And and there's no crime that Nicolas Cage has committed at this time. But Harvey Keitel is like... Let's keep an eye on it. <laughs> so basically, I guess if any news that's pertinent to Harvey Keitel is like, uh, let's keep the FBI working on this subject. And it doesn't make any sense because like later on, he's brought into the story in a much more logical way. But I guess they felt like they needed to remind people like, hey, Harvey Keitel was in the last movie and he's going to be in this one. <laughs> Stay tuned. But the, <laughs> but the other weird thing about the National Treasure movies is it basically gives you this version of American history where... Every national monument was just constructed as part of an elaborate treasure hunt. Like, everything in American history, like, anything that's going to become significant. Like, in the past, people were like, 
This is going to be a significant monument in American history at some point. I better work this into a clue that points people to gold. It's like, okay, if I punch the Liberty Bell four times with mittens on, and then I don't know. You know what would be awesome is if they go, they're like, we're supposed to go to the Washington Monument and say these words. Well, nothing's going to happen, but I'll say them anyway. And it's like, Adams, Jefferson, Washington, Jackson. Well, nothing happened. Then you just hear rumble, rumble, rumble. And the Washington Monument turns on its side and turns to point where the treasure is. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome. Uh, yeah. that's, com- that's for National Treasure 3, I guess. Oh, National Treasure 3. Big monuments. Oh, man. <laughs> one thing I, at one point in the trailer, I haven't seen the movie yet. At one point in the trailer, he says, there's another, uh, there's another Statue of Liberty, I mean. They're talking about the Statue of Liberty that's in France, right? Right, correct. Okay, I'm disappointed in that because it, they said in the trailer, it goes, it's at the Statue of Liberty, but not the one you're thinking of. There's a second Statue of Liberty? This is a, a, this is a fairly well-known fact, I feel like, that France has a second duplicate Statue of Liberty. It's not like a secret one on the moon or something like the, that. The moment in the trailer that really got me, and then I was quickly, my all my hopes for this movie were shattered, was the moment when he's like, the only way you're going to find that book is if you become the president. <laughs> yes. and, and then I'm you like, wanted, holy shit! Is he's he going to run, run for president, yeah. <laughs> but no, he didn't. He wants to kidnap the president. Yeah, but he doesn't want to kidnap the president. That's a pretty awesome... It's No, that's like, true. Batshit twist. That's, yeah. that's what I like about the and National it's Treasure like movies. That old, like that old video game Bad Dudes. Honestly. Where, uh, <laughs> where the, guy, the guy briefs you at the beginning, and he's like, ninjas have kidnapped the president. <laughs> the only response is sending in bad dudes. <laughs> I just feel like if you're going to make like a crazy action film... You should just go all the way and have every 15 minutes or less there should be a batshit crazy twist that happens. And that's what I like about the National Treasure movies is there's always something weird. That I, can't, I can't wait for the next up. one. Wait a minute. There's a Kansas City, Kansas and a Kansas City, Missouri? <laughs> Which one is the treasure at? We'll never know. Uh, Do they ever have a speech in any of them? Because I don't remember the first one that well, where it's like... Are you just going to give us historical facts? No, no, no. It's like, I I guess this was... uh, Actually, this happened in an episode of The Simpsons, I guess, was... You know what? We can't lose sight of our real national treasures. They're the hardworking people who come into this country every day. They're the they're the wide open fields that grow our food uh, and the mighty rivers that push our commerce. This is going to turn into a Simpsons reference podcast. Yeah, I don't want it to though. That's true. Oh, Stuart but that would be a good speech for them to make. Uh, yeah. So watching movies. Um, I uh, <laughs> let's see. I I recently watched Juno. Yeah. A little disappointed. Yeah. Uh, I recently recently watched There Will Be Blood, which was great. Um, and then uh, right. and then I watched uh, I watched Stardust. And uh, Stardust, I'm gonna kind of group it in with like the whole Bratz thing. It wasn't. I wouldn't say it was a great movie. Uh, I think it was a little up and down and all over the place. But its energy is what kept me involved. Like it, like it had enough enthusiasm about being Stardust the movie. To right. get me like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch this. And there were constant Stardust musical cues that kept you going along. Yeah, it, it, like I was Brett's. hooked. Yeah, I was hooked. <laughs> Wall-to-wall soundtrack, just like in Brad's. Yep. So, Stardust, meh. <laughs> <laughs> nice you. Bringing it back home. Ah, oh, man. Martin Scorsese and the director of Brett's. The two great <laughs> movies. <laughs> Those music, whatever the songs they used were, they are indelibly linked in my mind with whatever <laughs> scenes played at that time. <laughs> Never gonna be able to think about it the same way again. Oh, God, we gotta close this thing out. Whatever audience we may have uh, won from being mentioned on Gawker, we have now lost. I'm sure. Yeah, oh, possibly. Yeah, very likely. Uh, 
15 minutes in, if not earlier. <laughs> the minute they said, what, the minute you said, well, we're talking about Brad's the movie today. <laughs> Click. I imagine the, the computers have dials on them, like radios or things like that. Hey, see what's on the other podcast yeah. channel. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're talking about sports. This is better. This is what I like. <laughs> Who is Perez Hilton making fun of today? <laughs> That's uh, another popular blogger. I don't know. Who yeah, that is. Stuart had no idea who Gawker, what Gawker was. I'm sorry, Gawker. <laughs> I imagine you. Said I imagine it like, that Gawker is feeling really. I imagine sad. you said it like an old man. We were on the Gawker. <laughs> what's this Gawker I've been what's, hearing? What's about? the whole Gawker thing? Mm, I'm too busy necking. <laughs> yep. I was at a sock hop. <laughs> Bring home our boys, victory bonds. <laughs> anyway, instead of listing old timey things, I would like to say that if you want to write us. You can write us at theflophousepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to go to our website, it's theflophousepodcast.blogspot.com. And that has links to a lot of things, including uh, Podcast Alley, where you can vote for us. We were as high as the 33rd uh, humor podcast in, in uh, April. Nice. So uh, we're moving up in the world. I mean... You know, I think that that's totally uh, we've 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 gamed the system, and that's uh, that's an inaccurate couch. I've set with... up a program on my computer that votes every hour on the L. Sure. I don't understand what's the problem? It's like a war game sort of thing. Yeah, uh, well, it, it, because it's trying to blow up the country. But uh, we still appreciate that, and yeah, that's that's all the podcast business. Sure, no, we everyone's fat. Everyone fast forwards to this section anyway. So sure. I sure do. Just sign off. So why don't you sign off first? Uh, I've been Stuart Wellington. I have been Dan McCoy. And I have been Elliot Kalen and continue to be so. <sighs> Brats. Brats, yeah. Bratitude. <laughs> well, yeah, Bratitude, everybody, on three. One, two, three. Bratitude! Peace. <laughs> Bratitude, Jade, Bratz, Chloe, Bratz, Bratz, Bratz. I love Bratz. I did it with a brat. Check. Check. It's gonna. You know the the worst part about this podcast can be the moment where we uh, we have to recommend something. Since, (laughs) well, (laughs) I haven't been. It's gonna be the worst part, uh, other than talking about the Bratz movie. You start. Take everything down. Taking it down for the Bratz movie.